Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're again, we're going to expedite the service. We're going to get out of here a little bit early and, uh, uh, but again, thank you so much for being here. I'm so thankful uh, that Brother Denton Graham is is here tonight. I'm so thankful for his ministry, and uh, I always look forward to uh, hearing what the Lord has laid upon his heart. So we want Brother Denton to come and uh, share with us the word of the Lord. God bless you, Brother Denton. Thank you, Brother Jones. Yeah, I actually asked him why he prayed for this weather. He said his prayers were just a bit off. I think he wanted snow. But anyway, so... What I will go over real quick, and as he said, we're going to expedite this, so I'm going to try to be as thorough as possible and not drag this out because of this weather. And so basically what I'm going to go over is one thing that is not really thought about, but it's just as important to the study of the Bible as anything else, and it's not necessarily just theology. It's actually something a little bit overlooked. It's manners and customs. Uh, manners and customs, when I say that, think of the culture. Because uh, So first off, where is the Bible where does it take place? Middle East? It takes place in the Middle East, and how many years ago? 3,000 years ago. I think that'll do good. (laughs) (laughs) Testing, testing, testing. There we go. Okay, so it takes place 3,000 years ago. We're very far removed. So when you're reading this, a lot of it is very foreign because it is foreign. And most of it you can understand because it it deals with human nature, human people. But a lot of it, if you don't realize it, you'll miss the point of the story because it is a different culture. And whenever I say culture, I could give you a definition, but the problem is textbooks' definitions are really dry and aren't flexible. (laughs) So I'll just uh, try to explain it like this. There was once a film critic, he was interviewing this actor, this director I saw, and he was asking him one of the last questions. He said, so how do you, as a director in this business, you've been in it for 40 years, how do you think you have influenced the culture of the film industry? And the guy stopped and he looked at him and he said, that's a pretty broad question and a hard question to ask. He said, you might as well just ask a fish, you know, how do you think you've influenced water? The fish is just going to look at you and go, what in the world is water? That's exactly kind of how culture is. You live in it, you and you don't realize it. It's you take everything for granted. It's just everything you do. Why do you do a handshake? Do other cultures do a handshake? Maybe, maybe not. It's just the small things that you don't think about, but that they make a very big difference. And it's the same for the Bible. If you don't, if you're going through it, and you're thinking, why did they do that? What does that mean? Why did they get upset at that? It's because it's a different culture, and the manners and the customs are completely different. And some of them are, are actually very admirable. So what I'm going to go through is I, I'm going to go through just a few few of them for the, because if I did, we'd be here for two hours because there's a lot of them. So I decided to pick one specific section of the Bible and go through there and just cross-reference a little bit. But I'm using the Sermon on the Mount, just a few references from the Sermon on the Mount because a few of them do actually go along with it. So the first I would have is... Matthew 5.13, he says, you are the, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Now salt to them in the Middle East is a very different thing. It has a little bit more symbolic significance because if you ate salt with somebody, that was to partake of his or her hospitality in their home. 
and it was meant to derive substance from them. And hence, he who did so was bound to look after his host's interests. You were bound. So whenever you did that, so for example, Ezra 4.14, it reads in the King James, he says, we have maintenance from the king's palace. But actually, if you look at the translation, the actual meaning is we share the salt of the palace. Meaning, since we are in the king's palace, we eat of his meals. We are bound to help him. We are bound to his interests. That was It was something that you just didn't go against. If you were invited in their home, even today, it's still actually there. It's a, It still is a custom. It's not a religious custom. It's a social custom and a strong one. If you go into their house, they are bound to protect you. If anything happens, they feel that it will be on their head. And they will, they will rather defend to the death you in their home than let anything bad happen to you. It is very serious. Very, very serious. And that's why basically it has to do with this. If you did a covenant of salt, you base, that meant basically a fidelity, a sign of fidelity. A covenant of salt is used actually two places in scripture that I have here. The first would be numbers. 18, 19, because it says, whenever you do these heave offerings and you, and you do it unto the Lord, have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and thy seed with thee. And also, you know, in Second Chronicles, it says the same thing. It's, a, it's 13, 5. It says, ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt, meaning that it was not to be broken. It was sacred. You didn't break it. Why do you think Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt? Because it was meant to show a message. That's why Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Because whenever she was running away, she turned back. That was meant to be ironic. She was not faithful. That, and so anyone, if you're from the Middle East and at, during that time, you would have read that and instantly got the message. It was because she was not faithful. It was to, me, to show the irony of her actions. That, so if you don't realize that, you miss that point. You will completely miss that point because it's a completely different culture. And so, so that's the first one. Second one is Matthew 5.25. He says, Agree with thine adversary quickly, while thou art in the way, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and then the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Now, first off, this was no jury trial, because, again, we're used to having trial by jury, but you don't want to read that in here. There wasn't it. You were just brought before the judge. That judge would determine what happened to you. So what he's referring to is the Romans had this custom. If you went to court with somebody, what you had to do was you would have to take your adversary with you. If he didn't, you would pick a witness. You basically would ask a witness nearby, may I take you to witness? And if the person consented, they grabbed their ear as a sign. They did this in other cases too, but that was the main sign they would do. And then they would take you. But if you didn't want to go... That, that was a different thing, because if you were a thief or you had no respect, they would drag you there. They would forcibly take and violently take you there, because then, once you get to the judge, you didn't, it was no mercy. 
They would, and so they actually had this right. So it was better if you were both going to agree on the way and sell the difference than if you got there. And if you were wrong, you were wrong. And then if you got there, then you would be thrown into prison. So it was better just to settle it on the way rather than to go to the judge and then be thrown into prison. That's why Jesus said, if you have a quarrel, do it on the way. Don't just wait until it's too late. Because eventually you will face the consequences of what you've done. So it is better to handle it now rather than later. So that so if you don't realize that, if you don't realize that this is a different way of doing things, a different way of doing justice or whether to go into court, it, you don't realize what he's saying. He's making a point is forgive while you have the chance. It, so it, Forgive while you have the chance, because you won't get a second chance. Yeah. And so another thing is, and the next one is in Matthew 5, 33, 37. This one deals with oaths. You know, and this is one thing we remember. Jesus said, you have heard it said that you shall not forswear thyself falsely. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, neither by, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now this is what he's talking about as an oath, and we don't really think about this. It was very, very solemn. An oath was something you would swear back then any when you were making an agreement. And it was binding. If you broke it, you, they, you would be expected to be struck dead by the gods. Even other Middle Eastern cultures that were pagan did this. And they, if you swore an oath, they believed that if you broke it, you would die. Or if they found out you broke it, they'd kill you. It was a very serious thing. Whenever you went to court with somebody in front of the village elders, that was one thing they made you do. They made you swear that you were telling the truth. Because what happened is, if, you, if they found out you were lying, they did kill you. You didn't play with somebody's life. If you played with somebody's life and you lied about it, you deserved the just reward eye for eye tooth for tooth. That was how serious it was. So whenever you had oaths, that's why, if we don't realize it, they were very solemn and binding. So that's why Exodus in 20 and 7, that's why God says, you not, shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, but for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. What that is kind, mainly referring to, halfway, is yes, you don't want to use the Lord's name just any way. It's sacred. But it's also sacred because when you swore an oath, you used that name. When you swore an oath to somebody, you used it and God said, you will not go back on it because if you do, that is basically tarnishing me because I am faithful and I uphold what I am asked to do. You, so whenever you use it, my name is holy. So when you use it, you do not break it. It was serious. That is why he said, I will not hold you guiltless if you take my name in vain. So that's why also numbers, if you don't realize it, in the law, it will say it. It's, God says in Numbers 32, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do it according to all that proceeded out of his mouth. 
And what the Pharisee, what Jesus was referring to, he says, you don't swear by heaven for it's God's throne or his, or the earth for it's his footstool. What the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing is they were swearing, but they were saying, oh, I swear by heaven. And that way, if they broke it, they could get around it because they didn't use the name. And what he was saying is, no, 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 no. God, that's God's throne. Don't swear by heaven. That's God's throne. Don't swear by the earth. That's his footstool because it is still owned by him. You think just by saying the name, that not saying the name, that you're getting around it. You, you think by swearing by something lesser that you're getting, no. You are still accountable because that is still something God is there in it. So they were, it was hypocrisy. What he was saying is it's hypocrisy. You are blaspheming the name by trying to cheat your way out of these oaths. If you say it, you do it. So that way, so guess what? Don't swear at all. Just do it. You don't have to swear an oath to say you're going to do it. Just, just yet it be yes or no. So basically, the oaths were very, very solemn. So why do you think they were so solemn? There's actually one good example. In Joshua 9, there was the Gibeonites. Whenever they were going into the land, what, these people, the Gibeonites, they actually realized who they were. And so they tricked them. They dressed themselves up in old, ragged clothing. They had bread that was moldy. And they went to the camp of the Israelites. And they said, hey, we want to make, we've come from a long journey. And we want to make a covenant with you. We've heard of the fame of your God. And we want to make a covenant with you. And at first, they didn't. They were a little bit incredulous, but they did it. The problem is, it actually says, and the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel of the Lord uh, at the mouth of the Lord. They didn't ask him. So when they did it, they made peace with them, and they made a league with them to let them live. And the, the princes of the congregation swear unto them. That's Joshua 9, 14, 15. They swear unto them. And then when they found out, they couldn't go back because it says, actually later on, 19, in verse 19, it says, but all the princes said unto all the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them, we will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. Now, jump ahead 400 years. Because then this comes up one more time. 400 years later, during the time of Saul and David, they actually came up. And because in 2 Samuel 21, the first two verses, it says, And the king called the Gibeonites. Uh, no, wait, it says, Then there was a famine in the days of David in three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, and then it puts in parentheses because it explains why this happened. It says, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them. And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. He broke it. It was after 400 years, but God said, it is still binding. You used my name, even if it was with a lie. And they did lie, they tricked them. But God said, you still used my name, even if you did it by mistake. But since you used it, you have to honor it. And that's when, why he sent a family. He says, because you broke it. And I will not hold him guiltless that takes my name in vain. That's why you shall surely forswear your oaths. So, and so that is actually, you don't realize that's how 
powerful it is. It's a very powerful thing. That's why whenever uh, it Hebrews, it mentions this, it uses it, it says it. In, he, in the book of Hebrews, it says, for when, God made, uh, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For verily men swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation, it's them an end of all strife. Once you made that oath, they, they accepted it, because that was powerful. You made the oath, it was going to happen. Or So help you if it was going to happen. If not, you face the consequences. And it says, that by two immutable things, one, uh, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by a note that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. When he set, when he makes an oath, it happens. It happens. And one thing that goes with it is that's a small thing because the other one was a covenant. You used the oaths with a covenant. A covenant was a bigger thing in the whole picture. A covenant, when you made a covenant, that was one thing you used. You swore an oath. You swore an oath. And when you did that, it was an agreement. And it was probably even more powerful than, than the writing itself. Whenever you, uh, we think of, have, of laws, and we think if it's not written down, it's not binding to them. If you didn't say it, it wasn't binding. They, they took the word more, more seriously than the writing. The writing was just to spell out the conditions, but when you swore, you had to go through with it. That's why whenever, uh, whenever you made a covenant, there were certain things you did. When you set up a covenant, you took these animals, and you cut them in half, and then you each would walk through them, the middle of these. And it was meant to signify, if I break this covenant, may I be like these animals. Let this happen to me. And actually, this is one of the interesting things. God actually did this with Abraham, symbolically, because whenever Abraham was with him and he said, I will bless thee, in Genesis 15, he made this covenant with him, and he said, Lord, wherever shall I know that I shall inherit it, meaning the land? He said, I'm going to let you inherit this land. And he said, take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he said, okay, to speed it up, he said, just cut those in two, and then here's what's going to happen. And it caused a deep sleep to fall upon me. He said, I will cause you to multiply, but your children are going to be for 400 years in a land, and they're going to serve these other people. But I will bring them out. And then right near the end, in 17, and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoke, smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. That was meant to signify that God was agreeing to it. Abraham didn't go through it. Only God did that. Meaning that God said, I am only bound to uphold this. So since I'm making the agreement, he was the only one that made the agreement. He said, I will do it. And by doing that, he signified it. Because to make a covenant, whenever it says to make a covenant in Scripture, the words literally mean to cut. That's actually what the Hebrew actually means. It means to cut a covenant. Whenever you broke uh, that, it was how you did it. You did it with a meal. Because that was the other thing. After you did the oath, 
you, you would always signify it with a meal. Because another thing in the Middle East, if you ate a meal with somebody, that was an intimate thing. It was a very, and Brother Jones discussed it at the king's table. That was actually meant to show that was a very intimate thing if you ate with them. Anytime you did, if you betrayed, that's why Jesus, when he said, you know, they said, why do you eat with sinners? Because it was meant he was eating with them. That was a very intimate thing. And they said, why do you eat with them? That was a powerful statement. That's why whenever the Last Supper, he made the new covenant, and he, he said, hey, he broke the bread. He said, take, eat, this is my body. Do, and then he took the wine, he said, drink, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. That is what a covenant did. You had a meal with a covenant. And whenever he did that, that's what he was doing. It was to signify what was happening. You always seal the covenant with a meal because it was an intimate thing to do. You didn't just, and so when Judas betrayed him, that was a big thing. That was taboo. So if you don't realize that, you, to us, eating at, at the table is nothing. It's just like, okay, we're just hungry. We do it. Now to them, it was different. It was different. If you sat with them, if you ate with them, that was a very big thing. The same thing with the covenant of salt. If you ate with them, it was something you did not go back on. If you did, it was anathema. It was just taboo. You did not do it. It's, so it's, if you don't realize that, you don't realize how shocking that would be to somebody from the Middle East or during that time. That was the one covenant he, uh, that God made with him. The other one is when he's, he actually told him, it, uh, is the covenant of circumcision. He said, you will have an heir. One of the last points is that there's three major kinds of covenants. There was three times. There was a royal grant because God actually did base these off of the times. They did make treaties during this time. And they, he based it off the same thing. So what you would do is whenever you made a treaty with somebody, you had laid out the stipulations. And then one of the things that was different was there was called bless, the blesses and the curses. And that was actually in there. You listed out, here's the blessings of you following this agreement. Here's the curses if you break this agreement. That's why in Deuteronomy, if you'll notice, in Deuteronomy, it takes the same format. It has one, the prologue, here's what they're agreeing to. God reminded them, here's what I did for you. That's what they would do in the treaties. They would remind the people they were making the treaty with, the superior to the subordinate. They were The superior would remind the subordinate, here's what I did for you in the past to show that I helped you to ingratiate themselves. Basically, I helped you even though you didn't really deserve this. I helped you. And so then they would, so here is what you will do because of this. God said, I brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me because I am the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And for you were strangers and you were slaves in a foreign land. That was why he mentioned that, to show that, hey, I helped you. You are obliged to do this because nobody wanted you. So then when you get the laws, here's why you do it. Then when you go through that, you, you have the oath, you're, and you're bound to uphold it. And not only that, once you, if you were to uphold it with these treaties, your children could, because the blessings could go to the children as well, but the curses could too. So if you didn't do it, you didn't get any of the blessings, but you did get the curses. But as long as you continue to follow 
be examples of your fathers who made the tree. You got the benefits of the blessings. You got the benefits of the blessings as long as you stayed in that covenant. You, mu- you can continue in his goodness. You are in his goodness as long as you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. Romans. So it was, that was how it worked. So it was a very serious thing. And then the last thing I would go over. Oh, yeah, the other thing is whenever you did a reading, whenever they had those Ten Commandments, that's why you had those Ten Commandments. Because then what you, you had to read it year after year. It had to be read once every year. All those other cultures, they did it. To remind you of what your obligations were, they, you had to read it once a year. And that's why God said, you are to read this once a year to the people, to remind them of this. They, you are to memorize this, hide it in your heart. And then you were to deposit it in the temple of the person's God. Where did they put the Ten Commandments? They put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Same exact, they all knew this because they grew up with this. It was just a cultural thing. They did it without thinking. It's what they were raised with. And so then the last thing, and again, I say that, but this really is the last thing, <laughs> is Matthew 5.41. And whoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. So this is where we get the term, go the extra mile. And you will hear this, it's famous from this. But really, you don't really realize what it's saying. We, are, we think of this, and it does mean, you know, go do something that you don't want to do, with, even though the person is horrible to you, even though you don't want to. Try. Because what he's referring to, this is actually an ancient Persian custom. You see, the Persians introduced the use of regular cur- uh, couriers to carry letters or news. And then, so the king's courier had absolute command of all help that was necessary in the performance of his task. He could press horses into service, and he could compel the owners to accompany him if he wanted to. If he wanted you, he could pick you off the street and say, hey, I'm commandeering your horse. Oh, yeah, and you're going with me. And you didn't have any choice. If you refused, that was an affront to the king because they acted in the command and the authority of the king. So if he pressed you into service, you did it. And so, and so that's actually in Esther. It actually mentions this. It says, Write ye there also for the Jews as it liketh you in the king's name. And this is Esther 8 and 8. And seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Verse 10, it says, And he wrote in the king Asher's name and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by posts on horseback and riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries. Mix some words, but it was. And, and it's the same thing. He would always, you would always do this. Any th- time you had a signet ring, which is an extra example, you had the power of the king. You were acting in the authority of the king because they didn't have, ha- not everybody could write. So what they did was you had this ring. The king had this ring that whenever he had a wax seal, he would imprint that and that his seal would be recognized. Any, so anytime you, that courier was traveling, he would show that and they would know let him pass because that is in the authority of the king. Like, for example, it's the same thing in, in Genesis. Uh, what did Pharaoh give Joseph? He took off his ring and he gave it to him. And he says, you are the second most powerful except for me. You are the most powerful man in Egypt now except under me. 
but everything you do shall be in my authority. And so it, if you need to do it, compel somebody, do it, because I'm giving you all authority. And it's the same thing. Why, also, why do you think Daniel and the lion's den? It's a little-known example that you don't look at, but it's actually one thing. When they put Daniel in the lion's den, and then they rolled the stone over it, the king then, to make sure nothing happened, to make sure nobody could go in and get him, he took his ring and he put a seal on that entrance so that if anyone tried to break that open, you died. That was the king's authority. You didn't go against the king's authority to show, to show that nobody could get out and that nobody could go in and save him. He sealed it with his ring. And so if you don't realize, you'll miss those details, but they play a large amount in the stories that you, if you don't realize it. So it was very important. If you had that ring, you had the complete authority of the king backing you. It was. And so the la here's my last thing, but going back to go the extra mile. What this is referring to is the Romans. They took several of the things from, the, from their predecessors. They learned. You learn from the people that, sh that precede you, whether they fail or not. But they, the Romans actually did this. Any place they would go, they would conquer. They would actually, and this was humiliating, a Roman soldier could do the same thing. They would pick you out. They could just pick the common man off the street, and they would make you carry their armor for one mile. And it could be their garment. And if you were a Jew at this time who Jesus was talking to, you hated that because you hated the Romans. You were under their authority, and it was a slap in the face. They hated it. And so, but what Jesus was asking them to do is he says, if someone asks you to go one mile, go two. He, he says, if they ask you to, he's basically saying, be unselfish. Because that way it is a witness to that soldier. If he, even though you don't want to, even though you don't want to go that mile, go to as a example to that man. Because then that Roman soldier would think, you didn't really have to do that. It makes them think twice. That's why he says, if they ask for your cloak, to give them their, your cloak also. And if you don't realize that's what, it's more powerful than just the words there, if you don't realize what he's saying. It's a whole lot more powerful. He's saying, whenever he's saying, go the extra mile, do it even though you don't want to, even though that person, you hate that person, even though it goes against every fiber in your being, but it will be a witness to him. And so that's why it is very important to study manners, these manners and customs, because if not, you will not see the main point of what God was, is trying to do. It can be overlooked because we read the Bible and we misread it with Western eyes. We are so in this, this frame of mind that we are in our culture, in our world, in our time. You can misread what is going on. And it's the small details that actually make the whole picture clear. Not both theologically and historically, but mainly it gets the point. And so, study to show thyself approved. Yes. Means be study means be diligent, but it also means you make sure you know, because it can ha mean so much more, and God can want you to get so much more of out of what he's saying than you think you do. Yes. And with that, I, I yield. And, well, I've got 10 minutes to go, so I'm not going. But, <laughs> but 
Anyway, anyways, thank you all for coming out. And uh, Brother Jones, you want to lead us in prayer? He makes me sick. <laughs> he gets up here. He's like a sponge when it comes to this stuff. He doesn't look down at his notes. And I'm like, I'm writing just like trying to keep up with everything that he's saying. Thank you, uh, Brother Denton, for sharing that with us tonight. <laughs> man, man, this, um, it just makes me very thankful Um uh, to know who it is that we are serving and that his word is true yes. and that we can count. If God said it, that settles it. Yes. That's how it should be for us. Yes. Uh, Proverbs says that every word of God is flawless. I love that word, flawless. Every word, every communication, his character and everything that proceeds from his character is purer than anything this world could ever produce, this world could ever offer. And I'm just thankful to know that tonight uh, and that we can lean upon the word of God. And and Brother Denton is so right. And, and knowing these things, it, it makes all the difference in our study and in our relationship with God and understanding. You'll read something and, 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 and study it out and it may hit you in a whole different way and you'll realize the power that there is in the word of God. Amen. It's good to read it to and to ingest it and to and to but but to have wisdom with it and be knowledgeable and know exactly what the word of God is saying, man, that puts it on a whole different level. Amen. I'm thankful for the word of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.